Welcome to the Courage Corner, where we talk about courage with everyday people like yourself to help you if possible. Your host is Tim, the Coachman Taylor, but you can call him Coachman. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Courage Corner. I'm your host, the Coachman, where we talk all things courage. Today, I'm pleased to have with me Adam Breeze. Adam is an experienced C-level IT executive. He's a father of four. Adam has a wealth of international experience and a deep understanding of technology. He brings a unique perspective to leadership, technology innovation, and information security within any organization and helps them focus on organizational goals, technology effectiveness, instead of technology mass. Adam, welcome to the show. Thanks, Tim. It's good to be here. How are you doing today, Adam? I'm doing pretty good. It's been a, it's been a good day, but I'm coming to the end of it here in the UK, so it's uh, looking forward to the next one. Well I, well, I certainly appreciate you taking your time out of your busy schedule, and I know that there's uh, some, uh, some, not too many hours difference, but there's enough. Uh, so uh, welcome, and this is going to be a relaxed conversation where we talk about courage. I asked some questions and, and really it's about sharing your thoughts about certain topics and your life experiences. How do you feel about that? Yeah, that sounds like it's gonna be a fun conversation. Great, great. So l- let's get right to it then. I mean, the very first thing that I'd like to ask you is, when I, if you and I were talking and sitting in a bar or sitting in a cafe, and we just had a conversation about courage. And I asked you, Adam, what are, you, what are your thoughts on courage? What would you say to me? Oh, you know, my, my first instinct is to go right to, you know, how, how I define it. And I love that idea of, of, of being scared, but doing something anyway. Uh, it's, you know, I, I can, you know, rephrase all of the, uh, all of those hackneyed phrases that you hear all the time, like, you know, feel the fear and do it anyway. But it really comes down to that. It's uh, if you're not, if you're not scared of something, then there's no bravery involved. It's, it's facing up to those things that really, really get to you and then getting past it. So it stops being a fear. That's bravery to me. Right. And uh, it's curious that, uh, you know, when listening to you, you know, you said the words that really resonated with me and some folks, that I've talked to anyways, have a really hard time with this. And, and you said getting past this, right? Yeah, so I, you think of all of these situations as, as temporary. So there's something that's put in your way that causes fear. There's some, there's some stress, there's some collision of energies there that, that creates this sense inside of you that makes you feel like you wanna run or you wanna hide or, or you, you, makes you angry those those periods in time are all temporary it's a matter of how do you how do you organize your way through that through that energy that's causing you to feel that way so that you stop being afraid and then you know you take your rational mind along with you uh, rather than just ride the emotion exactly the emotional mind is such a powerful thing because once you start allowing the emotional piece of it to take over then all of a sudden, people tend just to react. And they're constantly reacting, reacting, reacting. And, and, 
And by doing that, the energy flows out of them. And, and there's nothing until they break that cycle, there's nothing that's going to stop them from continuing and ruminating in, in, in that uh, pool. There was a, there was a great experience I had when I was, when I was a lot younger, when my, my daughter was uh, afraid of the dark. I think she was about three years old. And it was, it was, it was paralyzing to her that she was scared of the dark. Every, you know, every time you close the door in her, her bedroom and we had a small house, so you had to close the door and she'd be awake all night listening to the television. <laughs> but it would, it scared her so much that she would just cry and scream and yell. When I did this exercise with her, I said, I said, you know what I want you to do? I'm going to close the door. I'm going to stand by the door. And I want you to tell me how scared you are uh, from one to 10. And so she came back and she said, oh, no, I'm 10, 10. I said, okay, no, just give it a minute and then kind of look around and you can start to see shapes as your eyes adjust. And then how scared are you now? And as we went through that period, we got her from being, you know, 10 scared to being too scared. And then she was fine. It's that idea of adjusting to this new situation and, and, and letting it become normal to you. But it worked great for her. And I kind of take that philosophy um, throughout my life now. And I, I think there's a, this whole thing about fear is, is one aspect of it, you know. But when I take a look at the whole thing that holds people back, and, and that's what I really uh, work with my clients on, is what are the things that are holding you back from becoming the best person uh, that you can be? And, and sometimes people understand, some people don't. They, they get trapped in this, this whole quagmire of, of thoughts and feelings and reactions. But what would you say if, instead of a fear, it's almost like their values are, are being touched at some point. For example, I'm not smart enough. So therefore, I shouldn't apply for this position at my current employer. Um, and, yeah, I understand what you're saying. And that's, that's, that's an interesting kind of barrier that we put up for ourselves. We're, we're choosing to fail before we even try in those circumstances, I think. Right. And, and, and maybe it's something that's been presented to you through parents or teachers or through peers that you're not smart enough, you're not smart enough. You might have heard that a lot and started to believe it. But it is still that barrier that you kind of choose to keep yourself. Right. And it's, a, it's, it's two things that we kind of look at. I, 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 I look at these people and, and ask them, where did that come from? Why is this showing up for you right now? Is there an assumption that you've taken with you? Or how are you interpreting this particular moment in time, i.e. the job. And, and you're right, there is this whole restraint that's always self-imposed. Yeah, I think that's, that's a lot of what holds most people back is that, that I'm not good enough because. And it's, again, it's, it's making those excuses so that if you do fail, it, oh, it's, it's okay, I didn't really try. That's right. why I failed. And, and we constantly do that. It's that un underachiever syndrome. And, but, and therefore you're justifying, right? You, yeah. you judge yourself and, you, and then validate and justify. Well, I knew I wasn't going to get it anyways. Yeah. Right? Exactly. When you don't get the position. 
or you you know you've been in a situation I'm sure where you know you you really wanted to get that position or to, or to to win an award or to do something, and it didn't turn out quite the way you expected. And the first thing that you do is rationalize why it's okay. Right. But now it's okay to do that afterwards. Okay, I didn't get the job, but that's okay because you know something else will come up, or I I didn't win that award, but that's okay. Maybe I didn't maybe I didn't do as well as I could have. Next time I'll try harder. Right. But if you do that before you even put the attempt in, that's where, that's where the disaster takes place because you don't even know how close you could have come. Correct. It's like the athlete, right? I'm uh, standing at the uh, sprint uh, start line <laughs> and you know, I'm five foot seven. Uh, when I was in high school, I, yeah, I was pretty fast. But when I went to the, uh, the, the, the provincial meet, I saw these uh, sprinters that were beside me that were 6'4", right? And I took a look at them and I went, there's no way. No way that I'm going to compete. Look at them, right? And I was doing that. I was, I was, I was getting into that defeated mode before so you, I so even knew imagine, how fast they were. Can you imagine if you take that one step further into, into how a lot of people approach their careers and, and you say, okay, well, when that starting gun comes, goes off, I'm just going to stand there. Right. Yeah. You know, it's interesting that society has really, you know, given us all these visuals. And when I talk to individuals, they agree. They, they say, well, this is what's happened throughout my life. Right. And we talk about it and everything like that. But then I ask them, how is that holding you back? Yeah, and that's, that's an interesting point to make. It's like, how, how does it hold you back? And I remember when I was young, I was, uh, I was kind of floundering for a long time in my life. I'd been in a car accident, and I was using that as an excuse to do nothing, right? <laughs> and um, I woke up one morning, and I just thought, you know, I, I had uh, my daughter with me already. And I just thought, you know, I, this isn't good enough for me. And this isn't good enough for her. This isn't good enough for my family. And I decided to do something about it. And it wasn't easy. It took years and years and years of, of effort to get past that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm disabled. Mm -hmm. And, I, and, I, and you, you pick up on these things and you absorb them and they become who you are. And then, you know, it takes a long time to let that go. And yeah, it was, it was difficult. It took a, a lot of a lot of school, a lot of reading, and a lot of, a lot of successes before I was willing to, to admit that, okay, I can do something else. But I always had in the back of my mind, it's okay if I fail because I'm, I shouldn't be doing this anyway. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm overachieving already. Who would have thought? Yeah, exactly. So if I, right. if I fail at this point, I'm still doing really good. Right. Here's the validation already. Yeah. And again, you're validating before you even start something. Right. Yeah, it, it, exactly. Exactly. And so, you know, again, if we start, if we start everything like that, how are we ever supposed to get anywhere? Right. But then I, I have an, sorry, go ahead. No, I, I have a, I have an interesting quote from Vincent van Gogh. I just liked your thoughts on it because you, you've sort of touched on it a bit. And he, 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 he talks about this. He says, what would life be like if you had no courage to attempt anything? <laughs> Think that's about a, that for a minute. That's a powerful statement coming from somebody like Vincent Van Gogh, who, who, 
painted absolutely constantly and, and broke away from so many of the, the known patterns. Right, the societal norms at that time. There was this great thing. I think he was, he was painting with Gauguin in the south of France. And Gauguin was, was very strict about how he painted his lines. Everything was very, very deliberate. And Van Gogh was just, it was like a thought exploding onto the paper. Right. If you take, take a look at Van Gogh's art, there's spaces in, the, in there where you can still see the canvas. There's literally no paint in that space. And it's not because he didn't think that he, he, he didn't need a, 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 a paint in that spot. It's because he was looking at the next thing. Okay, this looks good enough. I'm going to go on to the next thing. And he was prolific in painting because he was willing to not be perfect. In fact, it was an effort for him to not be perfect. Wow. So somebody who's that, that brave, and, you know, brave for whatever reason he decided to be brave. You know, we all have the, the stories of his mental illnesses and everything. But it was something that he chose. And he got criticism for Gauguin, from Gauguin saying, like, you need to slow down. You need to just pay attention to what you're painting. And he was like, no, no, you, that's, that's how you do it. This is how I'm going to do it. Right. And it caused a big rift in their relationship, actually. <laughs> Well, and and again, we could go into that for another time on yeah. a podcast because, <laughs> you, you know, I mean, why is it that it's important that Gauguin needed to have Van Gogh do it his way? Why wasn't Gauguin absolutely positively thrilled at the choices that Van Gogh makes? And think about that in our own relationships. Well, this Where is we the, have this people is the, that say, you know, Adam, you should do this. Well, or this Adam, you must do this. This is the same argument, you know, do you choose Apple or Android? Right. It's, you know, it's, um, you, people want to be validated by, uh, for their past decisions by seeing somebody else do the same thing. Um, in the art world at the time, everything was, was very, you know, I mean, uh, the, the, the photorealistic movement was still kind of alive and kicking. And these people were, a violent opposition to that. If you take a look at what they're doing and you, you leave the, the brown rooms in the museum of, of the, the great masters and then you find these intricate and beautiful pieces of art, but they're vastly different and they just absolutely weren't accepted. Like they didn't, they didn't sell. Nobody thought that he was a great artist until, you know, uh, was it was 60 or 70 years after his death. Right. But it's that, that violence of change that he inspired. And that's, that's really the inspiring thing about that. So if, imagine now if, he, if, in his case, he wasn't brave and he didn't do those things, we would have lost this vast collection of beauty that he made. You're listening to the Courage Corner Podcast, hosted by Tim, the Coachman Taylor. You are listening to the Coachman, and I'm here with Adam Breeze, Absolutely. I agree. You know, and we, we tend to think of that in our own worlds, don't we? Right. Yeah. Where if we don't see the instant gratification of our efforts and because we put an expectation on it, then there's a possibility that we'll judge ourselves as not being successful. Yeah. And if somebody else comes in with some new innovative ideas, the first thing that we try and do is reject them. 
because they invalidate the decisions that we've made in the past. Right. The problem is a, a decision is, is either right or wrong, depending on the context of the time that you look at it. Right. So imagine you, you bought an, you bought an Xbox, uh, great decision to buy an Xbox or a video game system or whatever. But then six months later, somebody else releases something better. Now buying that Xbox was a, a bad idea. Um, it's the same, you know, buying, buying shares in a company, buying gold stock. Really great idea when gold is high, really bad idea when it's low. But right. you don't know how that's going to be. So that decision that you made to do something is, is never good or bad what's oh. bad how that's interpreted at that next slice in time absolutely and you've you've nailed it as far as you know what is a basic decision right it's a choice that was made at a moment in time and for the most part based on the information that was available at that time you talked about it before uh, you know a few minutes ago about perfect imagine if you were that kind of person that always looked for perfect the perfect decision the perfect choice the perfect time to go for a walk, the perfect job, the perfect spouse, yeah, what would be happening? There's, I, I, I often like to think that there's no such thing as perfect. No. Because if you take a look, like, I mean, you can, you can, you can look at a, a flower and say, that's a, that's a beautiful flower, that's perfect. But if you look closer, you can say, okay, there's a cutoff of one of the petals. Right. If you look close enough at anything, you'll find a flaw. So if you're looking for perfect, what you're looking really for is an excuse to not do something. And you can, you can especially if you're, if you're in a career in technology, there's always another piece of information that you can go for. There's always something else that you can add to that decision matrix. But you know, when, you, when you look at it from, a, from an intelligence analyst perspective, the amount of data that you collect to make a decision is actually... Um, it's actually negative. So if you have a lot of information, you're going to make a bad decision. If you have a little bit of information, you tend to make a better decision. So when you're, when you start through that process of collecting and collecting and collecting to stall yourself, you're right. actually creating a condition where you're more likely to fail. Yeah. Because you, you just pro prolonging everything, yeah. right? How many times have you been on a project where, you know, it's gone overboard? Right. Oh, because oh, of this constantly. or because of that, or, right? <laughs> I think you and I have been on some of those same projects. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to bring that up, but you know, the never-ending project. Well, and this is uh, this is a, a a great thing when you talk about project management and you talk about those decisions, those those long-term uh, projects and those decisions. Definitely important to understand and to be able to visualize the outcome of what you're trying to do. But right. that doesn't mean that you have to understand every single detail. You need to understand what you want and you need to understand the components to get there. A lot of those little details that you run into, they're, they're almost always fixable. Um, and you can get around those details. You might not know, you know, um, you know where to put a semicolon in a line of code, but you know the code's going to work. Or how about a long-term project? How in the world can we possibly understand the finite details 18 months from now yeah who <laughs> who was uh, who was scheduling projects to um, to come to a close in um, may this year right i bet most of those people missed their deadlines when all of the countries <laughs> started going into lockdown <laughs> right because you never know 
and and I want to uh, revisit this perfection thing. And and one of the things that I've learned to do over the years, and and you talked about a little bit about the outcome. So so we're just people are people, and we've been trained historically throughout life that outcomes matter, results matters. In school, what mark did you get? Did you pass? Did you move on to grade 10? What grade are you in? How, how well are you doing? You know, all through our lives, these are the things that we've had. What I've done recently, though, is I've changed my approach. And because I was a perfectionist, I always thought that that was the, the gold standard for me. Now, part of it was because I was detailed-oriented and everything like that. But I've since come to realize, as you just eloquently stated, that there's no such thing as perfection. But what I can do now is have a masterful approach to my life. And what that means is that my desire now is always and continuously developing into the best that I can be, constantly. So without judgment, without expectation, just being. And let me tell you, I'm a lot happier for doing so. That makes, that makes perfect sense. So it's not, it's not about being perfect. It's about being a little bit better than you were yesterday. Yeah, grow. Ray Kroc once said, when you're green, you're growing. When you're ripe, you rot. Right? And this is a man that took over McDonald's at 52 years of age and built it into a fairly substantial uh, organization by the time he left. So at 52, he did that. So there's still time for us, Tim. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, for you. <laughs> my, my 52 has come and gone. Uh, Sorry. But thank you for... Thank you for including bringing, me in your... I'm bringing your age down. It's fine. <laughs> Thank you. I feel younger because of it, too. Perfect. That's good. It's good. So you're a little bit better today than you were yesterday. <laughs> exactly, right? So, so let's revisit this, this idea. So there's, there's having courageous behaviors and things like that. But now let's talk about when was a time, and maybe there were lots of times, maybe there were none, where you were feeling stuck unhappy about a present situation in your life. What I'm, what I'm curious to understand is the thoughts and the feelings that were going on at that moment in time. That would be the first part of this. You know what, this, this is kind of a continual cycle for me. So it's like you, um, you, keep, you keep moving up as far as you can and eventually you hit a ceiling and then you know, your natural instinct is to try and keep doing what you're doing and, and, and you keep hitting up against that ceiling. I've, I've been in several parts of my career specifically where I just, I decided, you know what, it's time for me to just do something dramatically different because this isn't working. And I try and carry that through for my life as well. So, you know, in my very early forties, not too long ago, I, uh, <laughs> I, I felt stuck and I, I picked up and I, I moved to, I moved to Africa. I moved to Ghana and, and was there for two years and I absolutely loved the experience. 
I saw all of my, a lot of friends, uh, one of one friend in particular had uh, emigrated from, from Russia into Canada and she was so happy that she was doing something that was so scary to her. And I thought that's just absolutely inspiring. I want to have that experience in my life. So I moved, <laughs> moved to Ghana. <laughs> well, uh, that's, a, that's amazing. And you know, it, it really, I think having those type of game-changing experiences really changed my life in a significant way. I think I understand people much better for having done that. Uh, I, I took a, a tremendous in, interest in, in culture and how culture affects how people think. And, uh, and fear, actually, is something that I, I, I studied quite a lot, was what really does fear mean to somebody? And it turns out that fear is a vastly different thing depending on where you're from. Sure. It's a, the source of fear is different. It's either from internal or external. The, um, the, the solution to fear is either internal or external. So when you can see these reflected, I wrote a piece a, a while ago about, um, about how this is reflected in the children's stories that we tell. Right. But this is, uh, this is something that's pervasive in our life is this idea of fear, but it's based on these cultural frameworks. But I would, never have, I would have never have come to that understanding of people if I hadn't have taken that chance and moved on. And I don't think I would, I think I would probably be in the, the same job, making the same money, having the same problems uh, as if I hadn't have done that. And, and, and really, let me ask you this, how, how happy would you have been? You know what, I probably wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have been happy. And it's not that it's not that I'm I'm driven for career success. I'm just driven for new experiences. I'm driven to to understand things a little bit better. So if we take take away that idea of of success is is money or success is a is a job title, for me that success is that understanding. It's it's being able to be a fuller person, and I really enjoy that. So my my strive in my career is partly economical. But it's also partly because being in this higher levels in these C-level positions gives me an opportunity to develop other people. So I can take somebody who I see, uh, I see a lot of potential in and I can help build them up. Rather than worrying about myself, I can, I can help somebody else. And that's the great thing about being at, at this point in my career now. So it stops it's being about me and start being what I can do for other people. And imagine, imagine the person on the receiving end of that, you know, uh, as I recall going through my, um, my career and, and the, the positions and the people that were, you know, responsible for my development uh, as, as much as I was uh, at that point. The, the resonating fact that I always go back to was that person that cared enough, that wasn't intimidated by my growth that was going to affect his position or her position. And it's, it's funny because I evolved into a person where I said, you know, my job is to replace me. That, that's what I'm here for. That's my position as a manager is exploring those individuals that are strong enough and have the, the courage to move forward in their careers so that I can maybe move somewhere else too. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, so glad to, I'm so glad to hear you say that because that is something that I repeat over and over and over again. I, I often, I have this, I wouldn't say it's a, it's a an, you know, state of the union address kind of speech, but I tell people when I, when I start managing a new team, 
you have me for two years. If I can't help you get to your next career level in two years, then I'm going to help you find it somewhere else, or I'm going to, I'm going to move out so that you can do it here. Right. And it's, it's words, words to live by. And you have to really take that to heart two years. So if you think of everything that happens in a two year cycle, I want to make that person as good as I am in two years. And then, but you have to have, then the agreement is for me to give you that, you need to give that to somebody else because I can't move you from your position unless somebody's there to take it. Right. And vice versa. Hopefully you've got somebody above you supporting you to do that same type of journey, but sometimes you don't. Right. And I think the, the, the recognition too, is that, and you, you know, as well as I do that there are people that are very satisfied being in the positions that they are and that's okay. Right. I I think of, uh, you know, some of the people I've worked with uh, in the finance department where they were really, really good at what they did, but they had no aspiration to move out of that. Oh, and they were satisfied. There is no sin. There is no sin in being satisfied with your position in life. That's for sure. No. But there is there is a sin in holding somebody back because you are satisfied. Correct. And 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 you know I I use the word satisfied because you know one of the things and and you've talked about it indirectly in, in some of the thoughts that you've shared with us today, emotion that feeling that you were happy and satisfied with what you just did, what decision you made. The, the move to Ghana, the, you know, the, the helping people, whatever it was, there was that internal peace that really was the ultimate driver in helping you make those decisions. And when we use those to the maximum ability vis-a-vis looking externally, I think the, the rate of success of being courageous is a lot higher. Because you know that this is coming from you. It's, it's a place where, you know, I have fear. But I, I know that I can get past this. You know, there was a time where I looked at things and went, I, I, I don't think I'm good enough. This is The Courage Corner. Your host, Tim the Coachman Taylor. Now back to the program where Adam and I are just about to talk about support structure. So this is an interesting thing as we were were saying, uh, and it's just, it's an interesting point to make, maybe not something that we have to go into deep conversation about, but I'm afraid I'm going to fix it. So in a lot of places, like if we go to, if you go to, to Ghana, for instance, it's, I'm afraid, how can we fix this? Everything is about the community. It's, it's a support structure that you lean on that we don't, as, as Canadians, as North Americans, we don't, we don't do that the same way. No. We say, me, it's, it's up to me to fix it. It's up to me to get out of the situation. Right. Where in, in other places, it's, okay, what can I do to get somebody to help me get out of this situation? Right. We help don't the ask, community. We don't, we don't ask for help enough. Not nearly enough. And we don't accept help nearly enough. But why do we, and I do like this, I like where this is going. So I'm going to ask, what is it about, let's go with the asking for help first. What is it about asking for help that is holding us back? See, in your opinion. I, I think a lot of it comes from, comes from school. When, 
you know, you raise your hand in school and you have a question. Our, our, the natural instinct of the children is to go, oh, you know, he didn't know that. We hide those, those, those gaps in what we know because we're, we're scared of being uh, criticized for it. Right. So we, we grow up in that environment, in that, in that place where school is about how many things you can memorize rather than how, how much you can learn. Learn. And, and it's, about, it's about that regurgitation of thoughts and being the, the, the natural side effect of that is when you get something wrong, that's wrong. So if you're right and you're good, you don't need to ask for help. But then you've, then you've got the other side of this, and this is something that takes a, a long time for people to recognize, is that idea of expertise. And I love the, the idea that the difference between an expert and an amateur is that an expert will ask for help. An expert will say, I don't know. Yes. Or an amateur won't. So if we start to adopt that idea, if, if, if we want to be successful, if we want people to understand that we're good at what we do, we need to constantly learn. And to learn, we need to say, I don't know. And we need right. to just internalize that and, and say that's a mark of being an expert, is that I'm willing to say that I don't know. And it's okay that I don't know that, because look at all of these other thousands of things that I do know that I can help you learn. So let's exchange that information. And I think the, the real cool thing is that when you are presented, and this is what I try to do with my, my coaching sessions and my clients, when you're presented with a safe environment that is free from judgment, but absolutely embraces um, vulnerability, questions, curiosity, what happens? Oh, yeah, that's, that's just a, a, a glorious situation to be in, isn't it? Right. But I mean, I think that's the, that's the situation that you inspire here in these podcasts is that you, it's, you know, it's, it's open. And you know, we can talk just really openly about our thoughts and about the things that, that make us scared and how we overcome those fears, or maybe how we don't. What right. are those pieces of fear that, that we haven't been able to get past and why? Right. Um, it's, but again, and now look at how great these conversations are we have because we're willing to say, I don't know, and we're willing to explore this together. Right. So. And there's an opportunity here for me to grow. And that's the other part of this is that Ray Kroc was so brilliant with that. And I've, I've, I've taken this with me for 40 years, Adam. When you're green, <laughs> you're growing, you're ripe, you rot. Right? Ooh. I'm just the visual. I was the visual. Right away, it was like, I don't want to rot. I want to continuously grow and grow and grow. And, you know, for me, it's interesting because I have a little bit of a definition of courage, which for me is continuously owning your awesomeness to grow every day. That's my courage. I like that awesomeness. Owning your awesomeness. I like that. Right? Because that's what it is all about for me. So that I can be that Ray Kroc kind of guy. I'm green and I'm growing. And I am awesome. There are many years where I believe that I wasn't awesome. And awesome isn't an arrogant term. It's a belief that you are doing exactly what you were meant to do. You're highly qualified to do it, but you're also satisfied in what you're doing. Yeah, you know what? Sometimes it's difficult to get into that place of, of satisfaction. but 
you know, sometimes, you know, maybe, maybe you're not in a position where you can get that ideal, that perfect job, but finding that thing that you like about that job becomes that, becomes that thing that frees you from, from, from the rest of the, the tediousness of the, of the work. Exactly. I think, was it, it, Stephen Covey um, talked about this in um, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. When he talks about understanding your roles, so your, your roles in work and your roles in life, and, and kind of making a list of what it is that you think you are, how people would describe you. And you go through the list, well, I'm a, I'm a father, I'm a teacher, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a husband. And, and you start to look at those things and you go, okay, well, which one of these things do I like being the most? Which one am I going to prioritize? And you can pick that thing. For me, it was, it was teacher and father. That's my, 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 my favorite thing is to watch somebody else grow, not necessarily myself. So when you start to embrace that and you go, okay, well, in, in this position, how can I take advantage of that? How can I gain my own satisfaction? Because I understand that that's the role that I want to take on. It's beautiful because to, to, I was visualizing that um, as you were saying that, because I, you know, I've known you for a few years now, Adam, and, and absolutely both of those things are, are, are where I see you, you know, the, the teacher and the father. And, you know, one of our founding principles uh, through, through the methodology that I use is that we are both a student and a teacher in oh, everything yeah. that we do absolutely. is that what are you teaching me? So what, is, what are your children teaching you? as well as you teaching them. If you're, if you're just a teacher, and, I, and, and, and that, that's going to end up as a soundbite that, that, that ruins my political career, right? <laughs> just a teacher. <laughs> if you're, if you're, I didn't mean it that way, folks. <laughs> if you only accept your role as a teacher without accepting your role as a student, what are you going to teach? There's a finite amount of things that you can then teach somebody. If you're also a student, then you're, you're constantly getting more, more information that you can teach. Sure. So if you want to be a good teacher, you also have to be a good student. It, it's, it's interesting, too, because, uh, you know, as I look back on my history and, and, and all the educators and people that have been in my life that uh, have helped me learn and grow, you know, some stand out more than others. Why? Because they were the ones that showed they cared they were the ones that showed that they were willing to grow and to learn and to adapt, not have and still teach the same course that they started 15 years ago and are still teaching the same way. No, it so, would be so difficult to keep your passion if, if that's what you did. Well, and it, it showed, right? Here I'm talking about it now, and I, I remember yeah. clearly the people especially my teachers in high school that, that exhibited those uh, passionate uh, qualities, right? Do I remember as much the other teachers? I may or may not remember their names, but uh, at the same time, I certainly don't remember how, you know, the impact that they had on me. So I think that leads me to another question, which is when we take a look at us, who we are, and one of my uh, insights I wrote about, I, I found it fascinating, so I wrote about it, was it was called The Mask You Wear. And, oh, okay. you know, part of it is this, this ability to understand and be courageous with the authentic you. 
And I wonder, in, in your life, who were the people that you really resonated with that you found didn't have that mask on? You know, I think one of the, well, there's been, there's been a few people, but I remember working with, working with you in, in, uh, in the, the mining company that we worked with together. Oh, yes. And you were unapologetically you is the only thing I can say. You, <laughs> you, didn't, uh, you didn't try and hide yourself at all. You, you were out there. If you were unhappy with something, you said it. If you were happy, you, you said it. And, and, and just as much. I mean, you were, uh, you were willing to, to tell people how you felt. Yeah. which it was such a rare thing in that, in, that, in that environment where everybody was just kind of moving chess pieces around the board. You were, this, you were playing a different game, and it was really wonderful. I, oh. I really appreciated you at that time. Thank, thank you for saying that. I, um, as, as I recall, um, I think that was one of the things, and, and again, here we go back to one of my principles again, uh, energy attracts like energy. And I think one of the things that always resonated with me at that time was your authentic self because you were willing to be there for me and just to be there for me, just Tim. Um, as you recall, that was a very tumultuous time for both uh, the people that were there and then the, actually the, the, the people that were brought in as well. And the, they were, you're right. I, I liked your analysis about the, the chess pieces and the pawns and everything else and the movements and, and, and there was posturing. I have to say, though, it was pretty difficult for me. There were some times where I wondered why. You know, I had my little, I, my energy dropped, I have to say. It. My, my energy dropped down to that uh, first level of, uh, of worry and pity. And why are they treating me this way? I'm just trying to be me. And, um, you know, what I learned from that is, is, is what you just exactly said. I learned that through anything in life, as long as you're authentic and want to be authentic, you're going to attract the most amazing people into your world and into your life. And that's okay because they're going to find you amazing just for who you are. So and thank you very much for, 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 uh, those kind oh, of words. No. no, thank you. That was, uh, it was, you know, it was a great experience. There were some people there that were just really amazing. And I had some absolutely tremendous conversations working there. And, you know, that's the, that's the thing that I picked up from there was, you know, there was a, there was a lot of problems, but then, you know, you focus on those good people that you see and there's some things that you can do. So there were some people that I could help along. There were some people who needed something that I, that I could have provided for them. And it was great to be there and to just be able to, to focus on that a little bit. Because you, you <laughs> I don't think, sorry, I don't think it was, a, it was, it was necessarily an easy place for anybody <laughs> no. at the time. No, it was very, wasn't but it we, though? But we had created these two, you know, there was these, uh, these in-groups, the, 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 old, the old guard and the new, the new staff, yeah. which happens very much. And I made, I tried to make a really honest effort to not do that. And it was, it wasn't, it wasn't easy. I mean, everybody's trying to pull you one way or another. And that's the first thing that people say is, oh, you're, you're one of the new people you wouldn't understand. Okay. Then right. make me understand. Show me, tell me. Or, or just share with me your thoughts. Yeah. 
let me let me take let me be able to interpret that and let me uh, make my decisions for me so you know yeah, the, actually you, this is a perfect segue into my final question here you can't sorry let me make one last thing you can't you can't expect somebody to understand your point of view if you don't tell them exactly right and and again it's i'm learning and and there's a word uh i'm not i'm, I'm going to say right and wrong but that's not the, what I, I want to say is there's a method and a way that you can communicate and still communicate your thoughts. And when I take a look at anything that I do, you know, because I'm at that masterful approach to life that I'm continuously trying to learn and grow, I don't look at things as, oh, geez, I just said the boo-boo or, oh, I, I didn't do something right or whatever. It's what did I learn from this? How is this or how is the universe sharing with me that there's a, an opportunity for growth here? And when I do that, you, you take away that judgment. You take away the, the rationalization, the justifications and everything in between. That I love because I get, to, I get, to, I get excited. Like I was so excited to talk to you today. Because you're an amazing man, and I like I'm going to learn stuff today. I appreciate that. That was that was the that was the opportunity that I was looking for. I went to the physiotherapist uh, before before this call, and it's like I got excited. She's going to hurt me, <laughs> right? But the opportunity is that I'm going to have a better functionality with my you know right shoulder, and and I'm going to I'm going to be feeling great. And then I'm going to go right into this conversation. Oh my God, my day can't get any better. It's 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 all about framing, isn't it? So yes. take take that that horrible situation and and think about it a different way. And sometimes that's all you need. The podcast continues. Please welcome back your host on the Courage Corner, Tim, the Coachman Taylor. I'm pleased to have you here. I'm in conversation with Adam Breeze, and we're just about to talk about energy. And, and interesting that you say that is when I, when I have my clients and we talk about it, and, and I'm actually creating a new course on this. It's, it's just a brief five-week course, but it's on energy within. It's called Energy Within. And, and what I do is I, because I haven't talked about this on my, my Insight emails, but I, I go into a little bit more detail about energy and, and the seven levels that this particular methodology that I have Oh, you uh, resonates. Reference, you referenced this a little bit earlier when you said you were at level one a couple of times in the. <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly right, and and so I'm excited to share that because it 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 talks about each level. But what triggered me with your comments was, we can look at something seven different ways. Seven. Oh, that's that's an interesting way to. Think. Right. Yeah. So you look at it with worry. You look at it with anger you know on and on and on so you look at each one and then you said which one do you choose to be you know when i go down to level two when i'm angry the thing is right now adam i'm aware of it so then i'm at, at choice and, and you'll hear me speak about this in my insights uh, emails all the time being aware so that you can accept whatever it is at that moment so that you can make a choice. So my choice sometimes when I'm in level two, if I'm angry, I'm staying there. I don't want to get out of here just yet. 
bring it on bring the emotion bring everything why this is this is something Maybe i just that, need to release this is something that chris voss talks about in his book never split the difference um but he, he talks about it as a negotiating tactic and it's called it's called naming if you can name the emotion that you're feeling in the moment you start looking at it in a different way absolutely and it's it's amazing how much control you get over that now sometimes that sometimes that you know maintaining that anger is very helpful because some people respond to that that anger that they see in somebody else more than they respond to something else so it's understanding yourself as much as the recipient of of you know maybe the anger <laughs> right but it's the level it's the duration it's the you know think of it as an angry leader you have two leaders two managers two teams right two it teams one is uh, somebody like yourself amazing um confident caring compassionate then you have the other one is a yeller and a screamer and a stomper and a slamming the door and imagine the teams that are built underneath imagine the growth that each team avails because of that opportunity with them right yeah and this is this is this is part of what leads to either a high performance culture or a culture of mediocrity if you're that leader that's constantly yelling you know um, an understanding leader that every once in a while gets angry everybody understands that uh, a leader that's just always yelling everything's a yell like that classic uh, police uh, uh, a police chief role that you see in the old, <laughs> the old movies where uh, he's just yelling every time somebody walks into his room, he's just yelling. Right. But the, the J Jonah Jameson type person. Oh yes. It's um, they, they're not going to get the best out of the people that, that are under them. They, they just can't, but the people that are very good underneath them are not going to stay. They're going right. somewhere else because they're not getting that respect that they deserve. And that was the, what I was going to, the, the point I was going to make is it, you're absolutely right. In short-term situations, the levels of uh, energy are required everywhere. You know, level two, that fear, that anger and everything, specifically fight or flight mode, right? You want to be in that if you're in a situation that may be dangerous or, you know, you have to be a little bit more alert or whatever. So there's all these as flows. As, so as long as you're controlling your rational mind at the same time. Yeah. So all these flows are happening. And, it's, it, and so this is what the, 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 the course that I'm developing that just uh, I want to try and uh, share with everybody about this. So it's, um, uh, I'm excited about that. The final thing we sort of talked about a little bit, and this has been amazing, by the way, and it's just very free for all, and I've loved it. The, <laughs> yeah, it's been, been a lot of fun for me so far as well. Yeah, and I definitely would be honored if you come back too, because I have a couple of things that I, I saw that you, you know, I'm very curious about, and um, I'm going to say that right at the end, but how would you describe courageous leadership? Because when I talk about it with, uh, on my insights, I talk about leaders and not leaders in the traditional sense of just a business leader, a manager or a CEO or whatever. I talk about leaders as everybody, whether it's a parent, whether it's your partner, whether it's friends, whether it's business associates, business mentors, whoever it is, we're all leaders. 
So if we take that context, and now we'll wrap it up and say, how would you describe courageous leadership? What thoughts come to mind? You know, I think the most courageous leaders are the leaders that lead people that are better than they are. And they're, they're unashamed to say it. So there's, there's this idea that the leader has to be the best at everything. And, but if that's true, why do you need other people? Do you just need more hands? Do you just need robots to do the work? A leader needs to understand his own limitations or her own limitations and find the people that can fill in those limitations. Even if that's an emotional limitation, like I know uh, I, I get stuck in, in, in a, a, a path of work sometimes. And I really like to have somebody who can pull me out of that. Right. So I, I look for those people on my team. Not right. just somebody who's going to be able to be the best technician, but somebody who can, you know, sway the decision a little bit. Somebody who can be, you know, the devil's advocate in the right situation. Understanding your own limitations and being okay with having people around you that are better than you are. And I think to me, that's, that's the courageousness of leadership. It, uh, it's it's amazing your thoughts because as you were talking about it i was i was sort of ruminating through all the leaders that i've had in my life and you know the ones that come to mind are are the ones that are actually what you described and and and, and i'll even add a little bit more too they're the ones that were not afraid to show their compassion and show their vulnerabilities oh yeah that's that's absolutely true yeah, right. I would say, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to change my answer now and say that too. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but think about it, you know, you, you had that staunch yeller that, you know, and he might not have been the smartest one, but he always yelled and everything else because he just believed that that was how people respected him. And in short terms, you get things done, you know, you got a deadline, one of the projects, somebody starts yelling at you because you missed a deadline or, or whatever. But then you have the person that has the courage to See, show. So somebody like you and I, I think we, we have kind of the same uh, kind of emotional standing, I think. If I'm working for somebody who is just yelling, I am not going to do my best work. There's no possible no. way I'm going to be doing good work. I'm going to be no. too, too busy thinking about how can I not get yelled at to actually do the right job. I'm going to be too worried about making a decision that I, that I know is right because I'm going to be second guessing whether or not it's the decision that's going to get me yelled at. And that's absolutely not the environment that you want to be in. Like some people work, that, work really well that way, especially if it's a role that's task oriented. I need right. you to, do, to, you know, to, fill out, to, to fill 18 buckets with rocks. Great. Right. You only filled 17? What the hell is wrong with you? you know, some situations that you know, it, it's, it's not as damaging. But when you're looking at people High whose performers. output is, is innovation and thought and logic, that's absolutely the most damaging thing that you can do. And if right. you're a leader and you're that self-conscious that you think that you're, you're, you're that self-absorbed, that you think you're always right, you are not the person that should be sitting in that chair. No, no, I agree. It's, uh, it, it, it aligns perfectly with, the, with the, how I feel as well. The, the understanding that, to me, 
I think compassion and vulnerability is courageous. I think that if you allow yourself to let other people see you as you truly are, imagine the power that gives. And so, you give it freely because you are just being you. You're being authentic to who you are. And now so all of a sudden you have a team like that. So there's a, there's a psychological thing behind this as well. It's called the, the six principles of manipulation. I hate to turn this into manipulation, but every conversation we have where we're trying to get somebody to change their opinion or to do something that they wouldn't naturally do is, is a form of manipulation. So there's good parts of it and bad parts of it. But when you look at those six principles of manipulation, liking, reciprocity, and helping are three really, really major parts of that. So if you're open and you're letting people show their emotions and you're openly asking for help, that's going to inspire people to help because everybody likes to help. Everybody sure. likes to be helpful. So, you know, it's, it's one of the things that we used to, to break into places. You know, you got a guy carrying a lot of books and looks like he's fumbling. You're going to hold the door open for him. You're not going right. to check his ID. You're going to let him in. Right. We naturally want to help people. So if you're in a position of leadership and you're not taking advantage of that, even if you don't want to, even if it's not who you are, if you're not astute enough to understand that that's how you're going to get a performer to perform, you're, you're doing it absolutely wrong. So even if you have to fake that, if you're not comfortable showing your emotion and you have to find a way to fake that, that's what's going to make your team work together. And, and hopefully in time, you allow yourself that growth so that <laughs> yeah, you can be, be, so that becomes comfortable for you. So here we go back to that. Uh, I'm constantly evolving. I'm constantly growing. Right. Yeah. But I think fear and courage have a necessary point in our lives. It's just a matter of, and we've talked a lot about this today, which is amazing is how we interpret it and how we proceed forward. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, how do I, you know, the great people say, how do I use this to my advantage? How do I, how do I get past this? Right. Or, you know, how do we get past this? How do we get past this together? And I think that's a great thing about having these open conversations like you and I are having is that let's make this conversation we. And people out there don't need to solve these problems by themselves. Ask for help. And people love to help. And it's not a sign of weakness. It's not a sign of failure. This is you being genuine. This is you allowing somebody else to be your hero. And they absolutely love it. Because also part of people's inherent values is to be valued. Yeah. Right. And so if you're, if you're asking for help, you're, you're making somebody feel valued. Right. Well, Adam, I have to say that this has been amazing. And I thank you very much from the bottom of my heart for the time that you've shared with me, because we have had uh, an opportunity here to talk about a lot of things. And I know that the people that are going to be listening to this are going to get a lot out of it. So thank you very much. Oh, it's my pleasure. And um, thanks to everybody that's listening. Keep up the good work, Tim. It's really, honestly, this has been a, a pleasure. Great. Well, I, I'm going to send this out to you right now. I look forward to the next time I have you on my show because we're going to have some more fun. Okay?
Okay, great. Looking forward to it. Thank you. You've been listening to Courage Corner with your host, Tim the Coachman Taylor. Thanks again for listening, and we look forward to sharing the next episode with you. Until then, be well and stay safe.